So guys, Bibles are open. John chapter 6. We'll be focusing on the verses 25 through to 40. Hope you've been in this passage throughout the week. Um, you might be aware of the surf brand uh, Mambo. I'm pretty sure that's still around. Is it still around? Yeah, okay. It's probably in Big W and things like that now. Back in my day, when I grew up in the 80s and 90s, I'm that old, right? Um, Mambo came on the scene. I'm that young. Um, Mambo came on the scene by doing, putting out pretty kind of um, controversial, um, irreverent images on T-shirts and things like that. You know, a dog farting music. Am I allowed to say that? Yep. I just said it anyway. Um, one of the ones that I found interesting was the, um, was the Aussie Jesus. I'm not sure if you're old enough to remember the Mambo Aussie Jesus, but he's Jesus standing on the back of a Holden ute, handing out to the crowd around him beers and meat pies and, you know, feeding the multitude with beers and meat pies. And, and that artwork um, was, um, it was a depiction or an Aussie version of one of Jesus' most famous miracles where he didn't hand out beer and meat pies, um, but he did hand out bread and fish. And the fact that, the fact that um, it's, it's, it, look, it's one of Jesus' most famous miracles, which is why still in popular culture it gets used for artwork and things like that. The passage we're looking at here are the words of Jesus directly or just very soon after that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So actually, if you've got your Bible open, flick back a page. We'll have a quick look at the miracle that Jesus does with the feeding, but then we're going to dig into the significance that lies behind why Jesus did the miracle. So come back with me to the beginning of chapter 6 and let me try and retell this miracle um, quite briefly. Um, Jesus is getting famous at this time. He's, he's actually got thousands of people who consider themselves his followers, um, his disciples, following him around. And in this particular setting, we're told there's 5,000 men. But there's likely women and children there as well. So maybe there's 10,000 or 15,000 people all up in this crowd. Um, Jesus is needing to take time to break away from the crowd and get a bit of time on his own and with his disciples. So he keeps trying to exit. And you can see there in verse Three, um, when Jesus went up on the mountainside to sit down with his disciples, um, then Jesus went up on the mountainside to sit down. Okay, but he, he goes up on the mountainside to get some break, but then he sees the crowd coming. Look at verse 5. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. So you can imagine what it's like, Jesus. He's trying to get a break, but here they come again. Don't look now. Um, the multitude are coming again. Um, in, in Mark's gospel, it actually says that Jesus had compassion on them because they looked like sheep without a shepherd. Um, and so what Jesus does do is he teaches them again. Um, but he also feels responsible to do more than simply teach them because they're out in the wilderness. Um, he wants to feed them as well and care for them. And so he turns in the second half of verse 5 to Philip to ask Philip a question. Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do, but he tests Philip with this question. And just as a little side note, the reason why he turns to Philip is because Philip is a local in this area and he knows what's around. The question Jesus asks is, where shall we buy bread for all these people? How are we going to feed them? Philip responds with the kind of answer you'd expect, verse 7. Um, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of these ones to even have a bite. So Philip says, in other words, there's no way we can feed this crowd. Um, we don't have enough money, and even if we did, you wouldn't be able to source enough food for that anyway. 
Um, someone else has a bit of an idea. They find a young boy who's still got his recess with him, his lunch with him. Look at verse 8. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Not sure how far it's going to go, but maybe you can work with it, Jesus. Um, now, Jesus absolutely does work with it. From this point on, Jesus actually prays, says grace. Um, they somehow organised the whole crowd to sit down in groups of 50 and 100, which is why they would have been aware of how many people were there. And then they start to distribute these five small barley loaves and the fish. But as they distribute it, it just keeps coming. The food just keeps rolling. And thousands and thousands of people are fed and full from just what started out as four small loaves and a bit of fish. In fact, once everyone had had a fill, had their fill, um, they went round and they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers, um, some take-homes. Um, now that number 12 is likely you know, a bit symbolic in regards to the feeding of the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, God is the one who completely provides for all his people and some. You know, he's the generous provider. But this is a, it's a famous miracle because it's an incredible miracle. For that many people to be fed from such a small amount of food is miraculous and amazing. And you can imagine everyone thinking, this is fantastic. You know, he, we get taught by this guy and we get a free lunch. Um, he's providing for us. Let's keep following him. Now, off the back of this miracle, um, they start to come to a few conclusions about Jesus um, and he picks up on it. You can actually see as you read on there that um, right towards the end of that little incident, you can, um, they say, verse 14, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So they're coming to some conclusions about Jesus. And one of them is they think he's going to be the prophet, which is prophesied back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, the prophet who's kind of like Moses, but better than Moses. Um, and, and the reason why they're coming to the conclusion that there's a connection here with Moses is, is for a number of reasons. Jesus has just been speaking about how Moses wrote about him. Um, the time that this miracle happens is near the Passover, um, which is a celebration of the exodus from Egypt. And Moses is the one who led them out of um, the exodus. Um, here's Jesus with a great multitude, like Moses had a multitude. Um, Moses, there was a water crossing. And here, the next miracle here is Jesus walking on water. Um, the people are grumbling now in the desert. They're hungry um, and they get fed bread in the wilderness like, like God's people got fed with manna in the wilderness. There's, there's so many connections that the crowd's coming to the conclusion that this is like the next Moses. This is the prophet that we've been waiting for. Um, and here's where Jesus is going to correct their thinking and he's going to tell them he's way more than Moses um, and he's going he's to share with them the deeper significance um, of what he's done here. Um, they're excited that they've been taught and they've been fed, but Jesus has got way more for them. Um, and here's where the book of John, you can, get, you can get a small amount of the book of John. You can come to the conclusion, wow, that's a miracle. That's amazing. Jesus can you know, multiply food. That's, that's awesome. Isn't he brilliant? Or you can go deeper and follow the following words of Jesus and see the real significance of why Jesus does this miracle. And that's really what I want you to be able to do here today. So, so now come over to verse 15 in chapter 6, and let's look at the interactions that Jesus starts to have and the words 
that he starts to speak to the followers. So verse 25, have a look at it there. Um, Jesus, after this miracle, had kind of tried to exit again and get some solitude, gone up on the mountainside, but they find him again. And when they find him, look at verse 25, um, they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And there's a lot caught up in that question. It's like, um, how long have you been here? Uh, We've been looking for you. We want more from you. When did you get here? And why didn't you tell us this is where you're going? And Jesus uses the opportunity here to actually address why they're following him and bring them, invite them to more than, than simply the reason why they're following. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered, Very truly I say to you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See what Jesus is doing? He's saying, um, you're, you're following me not because you, you, get the, you get where the miracle pointed to. You don't, you don't get the sign of, of what's really going on here. You're following me simply because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you just want another free lunch. You're following me because there's just some kind of temporary benefit that you're after and you want that again. Now, you, on, on one level, you, can't, you kind of can't blame them. Who doesn't like a free lunch? Um, but Jesus kind of sees a bunch of seagulls following him around and he wants to offer them so much more. He wants to offer them the very thing that he's come to bring to them. And it's not just free food. Um, and, and look at what Jesus says next, verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Did you catch that? He says to them, listen up. Don't just work for food that spoils, like just temporary food that's got to use by date and you'll be hungry again in a minute. Work for a different kind of food. And Jesus describes it as food that endures to eternal life. Food that's lasting and it's going to give you something that's lasting. So stop just being focused on the temporary, immediate. Start thinking about something bigger. Start thinking about what's going to endure forever because that's what Jesus has come to give. Now, just to focus in on what Jesus is really trying to help them grasp, I'm going to draw this on a whiteboard and I'm just realising I left the whiteboard somewhere and the whiteboard marker somewhere. So where's the whiteboard marker? Um, I think Lauren cleaned off the whiteboard out in the kitchen. Here's, and the whiteboard marker is what I just used to scribble on the... That's it, brother. Yeah, chuck it to me. Now, I want to draw this for you because it's just a really simple concept, but it's, the, it's one of the key things that Jesus is wanting to move them from and to. Um, it's on the bench out there. Yeah, you got it? Cool. All right. Look at this. It's all happening. Perfect. Okay. Can you tell me if I'm in frame here, James, or whether I'm gonna, I've got to move, or is that okay? Okay, so. Oh no, it'll only be a minute, and um, we'll see how it goes. Um, it's a little bit strange, isn't it? But here's, here's a. Actually, you can help me a little bit, Sophie, if you want. I want to draw a horizontal line from this point here, all the way. Can you draw that all the way along? Draw it all the way along. No, from here, yeah, all the way along, guys. This is a timeline of your life. Stop. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so here's where you get born, and this is the life that you get to live. But check this out. That's where you're born, but here is where you die. 
Here is where your physical life on earth ends. So this is the timeline of your life. But the first part, the small part, the, is, is just represented here on this line. And then after death, you step into eternity. You step into the afterlife. And, and at the end of the afterlife here, actually, Sophie, can you draw an arrow on the end of that? Because I want people to understand that this keeps going. Awesome. And then I'm going to need you again in a minute. Um, Jesus is basically saying, stop working for food that spoils. In other words, stop being simply focused on the things that you get and can have in this short amount of time here and start working for and focusing on what's going to last you for eternity. Can I get you to just draw a big big oval circle around eternity? Because this is what just around the... I don't know, just... No, 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 I don't want it around here. I just want it on the... We should have... Just from here. No, 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 no. So Jesus is wanting us to focus on... Here, let me have a go. You're doing awesome. Jesus is wanting my arms. Jesus is wanting us to focus on that. All right, have you got it? It's like, and, and here's the thing. It's, I know it's basic, but we need to hear this message today. We need to hear this message every day, just as much as they needed to hear it. They're focused on a free lunch, and Jesus is like, "Listen up. Stop focusing on what you get here." Start working for what's going to endure for eternity. Start focusing on the reality of eternity. Start focusing what's going to get you to eternity. This is the big deal. This is the big message. This is the big correction. Jesus has not simply come to help you have a good life here. Following Jesus will be the best thing you ever do with your life. It'll give you more meaning and purpose and fulfillment than any other philosophy or any other religion. It makes more sense. It works. But Jesus is not come to just give you life here. He's come to sort this out. So can you hear that from Jesus? Don't just work for food that spoils. Focus on eternity. And he wants to dig in to help them understand how the miracle they did with bread is actually really all about eternity. And it's all about making sure you get your eternity sorted out. Can I get you guys to grab that for me now? And thank you so much for helping me out. Super dodgy squiggles. We got there. Thanks, so. You're a legend. Um, all right. <clears throat> okay. So can you catch what he says there, verse 27? Go after food that's going to work. Um, they kind of catch the concept. They're like, food that lasts forever? That sounds good. We don't have refrigerators. Um, you know, maybe yeah, give us this kind of food. How do we get that food? Um, and have a look at verse 28. Um, they asked him, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? So they're kind of catching, all right, there's got to be a different kind of work we've got to do here. Um, how do we do the work for the stuff that lasts forever? And Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, verse 29, um, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, the work of God is this, and, and, which I think what he means is, the work that God really wants you to dig into um, is simply this. Believe in the one he has sent. So to work for food that endures for eternal life is to simply believe in the one he sent, which is Jesus. So saying, here's the work that you need to focus on doing in this life. Believe in the one, or believe in Jesus. You know, there's your work brother and sister, person who's listening, the work that you need to do with this life is to believe in Jesus. 
And that is going to be the thing that's going to sort out your eternity. It doesn't sound much, doesn't sound much like a work, does it? It sounds like, um, like a, we just want to do things. And, and, and the focus here is on belief, which is just trust. It's to have faith in, really, the work that someone else has done. It's something that Jesus has done. That's what's going to sort out your eternity. And that, that's actually kind of, the, the fact that this concept of belief doesn't feel like much of a work gets emphasised as Jesus talks about what's actually got to happen to enable a person to believe. And let me point out two verses that you may or may not have noticed. Look at verse 37. Um, Jesus is speaking about those who are going to come and believe. And, and he says this, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I'll never drive away. So the ones who come to Jesus, the ones who believe in Jesus, will be the ones who the Father gives Jesus. So there's, there's something about you and I that needs to be given to Jesus to enable us to be able to come to Jesus. It's like there's a work that only God can do in us that actually even enables us to believe. I mean, that's emphasised again in verse 44. It says there, no one, Jesus says, no one can come to me. In other words, no one can come and believe in me Look at this, unless the Father who has sent me draws them. So, so it's like to even believe, you need to be drawn by God the Father to be able to come and believe in Jesus, which, which is why it doesn't feel like much of a work because it's not simply about um, figuring out in your mind and, and working out the equation. This concept of belief and trust in Jesus is something that we need to God to call us and draw us to be able to do. So, so here's the deal. If you're new to this and you're thinking, I think Jesus is starting to make sense to me, I, I would say to you, God is drawing you. And if you're someone who has come to put your trust in Jesus, you have come to believe in Jesus, God has drawn you to Jesus. He's given you to Jesus, which is why it sometimes doesn't feel like much of a work for us. And really, it's not about us working to sort out our own eternity. At the heart of Christianity... Um, lies the truth of the scriptures that says it's all about what God does to save us and draw us to himself, which is why in Christianity there's more room for celebration and rejoicing in something that's done for us than simply being proud about what you can or can't do for yourself. So this is a little bit baffling to them. It's pretty big for them to hear this word about the concept of the work being to simply believe. They don't understand it. They're not sure about what Jesus is saying. And so they say, mate, can you give us a sign that what you're saying is true, which is crazy. Can you believe? Look, look at verse 30. They say, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? They say to Jesus, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven. So you see what they're doing to Jesus? It's, it's almost a little bit befuddling. Is that a word? Jesus has, Jesus has just fed fifteen to 20,000 people with some little boy's recess in the wilderness. And now he's teaching them the significance of it. And they say to him, can you give us a sign? Like, come on, we want a sign. Do something that we can see. I mean, if I was Jesus, I'd be going, you want a sign? I just did the sign. Are you serious? You want, you want more than that? Um, you, you're saying your ancestors got manna in the desert and, and you think, did you see what I just did? So they ask him for a sign. I mean, Jesus doesn't get all grumpy at them like I would. I'm glad I'm 
not the one here in charge. Look at what Jesus says. He says, verse 32, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus just kind of wants to take him to the depths of what he's saying. He's saying like, in the end, God was the one who gave manna to their ancestors in the desert, not Moses. It wasn't even Moses. And it's now God who's bringing the true bread from heaven. God's bringing the ultimate gift that's going to sustain life from heaven. And, and, and the gift really here is not actual flour and water and yeast maybe. The true bread is a man. It's a man who comes down to give life. Because look at what Jesus says next. Verse 33, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they say, Sir, always give us this bread. Can we have that bread? And then look at Jesus' words, verse 35, I am the bread of life. So here's where Jesus nails it. And he goes, okay, here's the deal, guys. I'm the bread. I just fed you bread over here, but here's the real bread. It's me that's come from heaven to give you real life that's sustained for all eternity. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Yeah, you caught that? That's a, that's a cracking saying. He's basically, look, he goes on and says, you know, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, to, to consume this true bread, cons- to, to get the bread of life, to have Jesus is to come to him and believe in him. And when you do that, you will never be thirsty and hungry again. Meaning the deep thing that you're looking for, contentment and satisfaction in life, in you, will be satisfied for all eternity, which is to know God for all eternity. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Come and get me. Um, eat me and you'll live forever. Believe in me, which is what he means by take the living bread, and you'll live for an eternity. So it's, it's a simple but it's a profound message. Jesus is trying to get them to the heart of, of the miracle that he did, which is to help them see that he's the one who's come from heaven to actually bring life for all eternity. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, which, which, which points out two things, really. Number one, he's the one who's, you're going to get eternity um, from him, the bread of life. And number two, there's something else that's kind of um, embedded in this saying that Jesus gives us. Um, and, and it's the concept of those, those two words, I am. You see, in, in the Gospel of John, you get a lot of I am sayings that Jesus gives. And really what we want to understand, and we're going to dig into this in a few weeks' time, is that back in... Back in Exodus uh, chapter 3, when God reveals himself to Moses through the burning bush, uh, Moses asks him, who, who shall I say who sent me? Who, who, who sh- I'm going to tell them someone's talked to me here. What's your name, God? Who shall I say has sent me? And God simply says this, tell them, I am has sent you. So God just wants to be known as I am, the one who is, the one who was, the one who will be. The one who, just, I am. I'm the one from whom life comes. I'm the one who's always existed. That's me. I'm God. I'm the one. So God reveals himself as I am. And then you get here in the gospel, Jesus using these I am statements. And there's a couple of them in John's gospel. I'll read a few of them out. Here in chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. 
Chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. And each of those give you a different aspect of God. But that phrase, I am, is Jesus saying, I am God. I am God, the Son, come to earth to actually give you life that goes on for all eternity. And in chapter 8, you know, Jesus will make that really clear where he says, before Abraham was, I am. So big claim in this little phrase that Jesus gives, I am the bread of life, a huge claim that he is God, God the Son. Now, coming back to the concept of what it means to believe in Jesus, which is the work that we've got to make sure we do in these few short days, make sure you believe in the one God has sent. I just, I just, want, to, I just want to kind of pause on that one for a little bit because the concept of believing in Jesus can sound simple and seem easy. But it's actually huge and life-shaping, defining, consuming to believe in Jesus. Um, it's not, to believe in Jesus is not to simply add a bit of belief in Jesus to your already belief in God. I think the, core, uh, the video that Corey did for us that we just played earlier, I hope you, hopefully you caught his language in there. What he said was um, prior to this little season of life that he's had with us, there, there was always a belief in God that God was the creator, but now he's come to believe in Jesus. Now, that's huge. That's just not just a little addition to the belief in God. That is the belief that actually helps you come to know God properly and get life for an eternity. To, to simply believe in God is one thing, but to come to believe in Jesus is next level. And, and, and to say you've come to believe in Jesus is not simply, oh yeah, I believe there was a bloke named Jesus who came 2,000 years ago. It's not that. To believe in Jesus is to believe in his work on the cross. And to say that and believe that's actually pretty huge. Yep. You actually get an indication of what Jesus means to believe in him in verse 51. When he uses language like this, he talks about how he's the one who gave his flesh for the life of the world. So to believe in Jesus is to believe in this concept of him being the one who gave his flesh so that people could live for all eternity, which is a way of helping us to really hone in on his work on the cross. That is the moment where Jesus actually in his flesh bore your sin and my sin in his body on the cross, hung there with it, died with it, dealt with it rose again from the dead to show his victory over our sin. So when Jesus, to believe in Jesus is to believe that he took your sin and died with it. So to, to believe in Jesus, here's the big thing, to believe in Jesus is to believe in the reality of sin and that you desperately need to get your sin dealt with. To believe in Jesus is to believe that God the Son um, came and actually died with it and that you needed God the Son to die with your sin. And to believe in Jesus is to believe that that's actually your only hope of salvation. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. That's huge. And so it's massive come to, to actually come to the point of genuine belief in Jesus, to actually eat the living bread. It's huge. It's actually 
it's actually almost controversial to believe in Jesus. Um, and, and to actually press home the point of how controversial it is to believe in Jesus and his work on the cross, the reality of sin and the forgiveness that can be offered, Jesus actually digs into this concept of eating him as the living bread and he uses language that actually causes people to walk away from him because it just sounds way too hectic. Um, do you pick up on the language there in verse 53? Have a look at it. This is Jesus it's just explaining what it means to believe in him, to eat the living bread, you know, the bread of life. Look at verse 53. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So it's almost like he's telling people they need to become cannibals. And people are thinking, that's just weird. That's just strange. I don't get it. It's way too full on. But just in case they miss it, he says it again, verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise them up on the last day. Jesus is actually pressing into really controversial language to help people understand that this is the biggest thing they'll ever do. To believe in Jesus, metaphorically, is to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's actually to take him, the living bread, into you and digest him. It's, that's what it means to believe in Jesus, to take him deep down inside of you and to let him change you from the inside out. And to let him live in you by his spirit from this day forward. That's a hard teaching to accept. And you can see actually by the end of this chapter, these thousands of people turn away. And they're just like, this just sounds way too heavy. This is way more than just a free bit of bread for lunch. This is serious. And that's exactly what belief in Jesus is. It's serious, life-consuming life-shaping, life-identifying, life-changing. There's nothing bigger than believing in Jesus. And it's the only thing that will last for all eternity. You're to take this belief of Jesus deep down into you, that it would become part of you and change you. And it's the only way to truly come to know God. So to come back to Corey's story again, let me, no, I just keep wanting to go on that one. Um, I reckon there's many people who think that because they believe in God, that there is a creator, that they're right and they'll be fine in the end. But the truth is, until you come to belief in Jesus, belief in your own sin that the Son of God needed to come and die with and that he rose again from the dead to offer you forgiveness that you desperately need, until you come to Jesus, you haven't yet got God. Until you believe in Jesus, seriously, your eternity is not sorted out. Your life beyond the grave is not fixed. You're still in trouble. So for all those, and maybe this is you prior to like, um, you know, like maybe this is like what you're like kind of where Corey was. You believe in God. That's great. But you need to come and believe in Jesus. You need to have your sin forgiven. You need to take the living bread into you. You need to actually work for food that's not going to spoil. You need to get eternity sorted out. And that's what Corey seems to have now. That's what we all need to have. And for those of you who have come to genuine belief in Jesus, that's what you've got. And it's the best thing. It's what Jesus came to bring. It's what everyone desperately needs. So I'm kind of going to wrap up in this moment and then we're going to um, 
I think Jake's going to sing for us again, so we'll kind of get ready for that. But let me just kind of bring this to a close um, and ask you the question, those of you who haven't quite done it yet, will you eat the bread of life? Will you come to serious belief in Jesus? Eat his flesh, drink his blood, come to him, believe in him, trust in the work of the cross. Take Jesus down into your inmost being. If you've currently just got a bit of a shallow attachment to Jesus, you think he's kind of cool, um, he, he brings some benefits for your life right now, but you're really just focused on the temporary, superficial benefits that Jesus might be able to bring for you, you haven't really got Jesus yet. You need the deep connection, deep trust, deep belief. You need to take Christ down into you where he'll meet your ultimate needs. He'll take away your sin. He'll give you life for all eternity. Um, and right at the end here where everyone hears that word and finds it too hard to focus, Jesus looks at his own 12 disciples and says to them, what about you guys? Are you going to bail as well? Is this too hard for you? Will you leave and go elsewhere? He said, Jesus says that in verse 67. Do you want to leave as well? And this is where Peter's beautiful words come out and let these ring in your ears. Peter says, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go when you have the words of eternal life? You want eternal life? It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. hope that was helpful. Let me pray for you and us and then Jake's going to share a song with us. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, we, um, we are so grateful to be able to walk alongside Jesus, see his miracles, but see where the signs point that Jesus is the one who's come to offer living bread, bread that actually will enable us to live for eternity. We desperately want that, Lord. We see that's what we were created for. Please let Jesus' words f- help us focus on eternity. And, and, and so, Lord, lead us to believe in you. For those who are yet to do that, Lord, would you help them? Would you draw them? Would you give them to Jesus so that they can believe in you and have a deep trust in you? And those of us who have believed in Jesus, help us to celebrate that. Help us to rejoice in our salvation. Help us to know our future is secure and help us to hold out belief in Jesus, knowing that it's the only hope for life for all eternity. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.